Welcome to The Extra, the show that connects you with the issues, topics, and people that are important to you. Well, so much of the news uh, in the past, well, week or so has been talking about uh, New Year's and 2024, the time for making resolutions, hopefully keeping resolutions. And those resolutions can take many different forms, whether it's, you know, saving money, getting in better health, getting more fit, reading more books. I mean, you name it. Uh, there's a resolution that probably applies. But this year, maybe people might be thinking more about resolutions that can help keep them maybe not safe, but uh, doing their best to stave off what has been more and more publicly uh, shown to be just such a devastating disease, and that is Alzheimer's. And so today we're going to be talking to uh, someone from the Alzheimer's Association of Colorado, Jim Herlihy, who's joining us on the KRDO Newsline. Uh, Jim, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you, Shannon. I appreciate it. Now, we know through our past uh, discussions that Alzheimer's can strike anyone, and it really doesn't uh, play favorites, and it doesn't discriminate. Uh, it, tell us about, uh, first of all, some basic stats about Alzheimer's. Sure. There are uh, 76,000 Coloradans currently living with Alzheimer's disease, and that's out of nearly 7 million people across the United States and about 55 million worldwide. Uh, it is right now uh, the seventh leading cause of death, and it's the only major disease without a prevention or cure. So we are dealing with a, a very challenging and costly medication, uh, med I'm sorry, uh, disease, uh, we're dealing with a very costly disease that has a big impact not only on the people living with it, but on the people who care for them, the family and friends who provide their time and energy and often money out of their own pockets uh, to care for their loved ones. Yeah, I, I myself have uh, I shared my experiences having a couple of relatives that have gone through this and uh, dealt with it uh, in varying degrees. Uh, my neighborhood, I, I, I want to say it feels like every other house in the neighborhood is having some experience with it because that's a, a very big topic of conversation when we have our neighborhood get-togethers. So it is uh, so non-discriminatory. It is so far reaching. And so that's why when we're talking about setting resolutions, there are perhaps things we can do, right, Jim, to make uh, brain health uh, a priority in 2024. Tell us about that. Absolutely. Um, I, I'll say right up front that the number one risk factor for developing Alzheimer's disease is aging. So that's one that we can't control. And certainly the genetics that we have uh, if one or both of our parents uh, lived with Alzheimer's, that certainly increases our risk, but it's not a guarantee that we'll get it. So to your point, there are a number of things that we can do for ourselves um, and, and, and take this you know, action into our own hands uh, to help reduce our risk uh, or perhaps even forestall the onset of, of Alzheimer's. The first one, which is perhaps the easiest one, is managing your blood pressure. 
High blood pressure is a known risk for the development of Alzheimer's. It is one of the reasons why there is a higher propensity for the onset of Alzheimer's in the uh, black community and in the Hispanic community because they have a tendency to have higher blood pressure. And so what researchers have found is that if your higher number, the systolic number, uh, say if your blood pressure is 140 over 80, the high number is the systolic number. And if you can bring that number down to 120, what even whether it's through diet and exercise or through medications that you'd receive from your doctor, that will reduce your risk of developing Alzheimer's by almost 20%. Wow. And when you talk about uh, blood pressure, the researchers, are, are they basing their findings on what they're discovering uh, when they're uh, doing brain scans of people with Alzheimer's or people who then go on later to develop Alzheimer's? Do you know that? This was actually, this was, this was fascinating. It was a clinical trial where people with high blood pressure were studied and they were divided into the, you know, the different groups. Um, and there were the people who were uh, treated with medications and there were those who, who weren't. And what the researchers found was the medication was having an immediate impact on the people in the study. And what they did was they ended the study because they said they could not in good conscience allow the other people to go untreated. They said, you need to be on these, these blood pressure medications because there is a very readily definable benefit. Mm -hmm. So this wasn't a post-mortem study. This was live people, and the, the results were pretty remarkable. We, we have some more resolutions that people can uh, set in 2024 if they want to do something for themselves that may have indications that it could help stave off dementia. It might be better for your brain health. We have to take a short break here. Jim Hurley, he is our guest. He is the Senior Director of Marketing and Communications for the Alzheimer's Association of Colorado. When we come back, more of the extra. You're listening to KRDO News Radio. We're back with the extra and uh, setting New Year's resolutions is a thing that people do and uh, some keep their resolutions, some eh, maybe fall by the wayside. But here's one that uh, possibly you haven't thought about, making better brain health your top New Year's resolution. Why? Well, the links between brain health and Alzheimer's well, they are becoming clearer and clearer through research that they may help stave off uh, some of the Alzheimer's impact that we are seeing uh, so predominant uh, through our aging population. So we're talking to Jim Hurley, who is with the Alzheimer's Association. So Jim, we talked about managing blood pressure, that uh, blood pressure readings of 120 instead of 140 help to uh, form a brain health that will perhaps not develop the mild cognitive impairment that may be a precursor to Alzheimer's. So what else can people do? Well, here's one that's even more dramatic in terms of its effectiveness. Um, researchers have, have known that as we age, uh, our hearing is affected. And so we look at adults over the age of 60 and hearing loss is present in roughly two thirds of them. And so what researchers have found is that 
if that hearing loss is allowed to continue and to progress, that can increase people's risk for cognitive decline. And so what they, what they did was they um, introduced the use of hearing aids into a test group of this population and found that the use of hearing aids uh, over a period of about three years cut the, the risk of cognitive decline by 48%, so roughly half. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is that as our hearing declines, people tend to withdraw from social interaction. And that is a factor that can, you know, increase our risk for dementia because we're not engaging, we're not keeping our brains uh, busy and challenged. And the other thing is that when we can't hear well, our brains have to work harder. And that draws resources away from other activities, other mental cognitive activities. And so that increases the strain on our brains and causes uh, them to decline that much faster. So basically, when you go in to see your physician for your annual physical, if they say that you have some measurable hearing loss, don't just accept that as part of aging, but there are some things that you can do and, and hearing aids have become much more socially acceptable. They're smaller, they're almost invisible, and they can help preserve your, preserve your brain, keep you uh, cognitively effective longer uh, and, and enable you to enjoy life and interact more with your family and friends. Would you say, Jim, that this may be even hopefully the people listening may use this as a, as a kickstart to perhaps getting their hearing tested? Because I know, you know, for some people, they don't feel, <laughs> I put myself in this category, they don't feel that they're, you know, old enough to maybe be experiencing hearing loss. But sometimes I feel that uh, people in my circle uh, that have gone to get hearing aids, that it may almost be past the point where they can uh, have the mental acuity to figure out the hearing aids. So then that leads to them not using them or not using them properly or forgetting to put them in, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, you know, maybe someone who's younger has that mental acuity to form that habit. So then, you know, the hearing aids become more a part of them, uh, more a part of their daily living. And, and like you said, when you're talking about hearing loss being present in 65% of adults over the age of 60, and then also leading to a higher risk of cognitive decline, about a quarter of the total study population, that link looks very solid. It is. It, and frankly, this fits into a larger trend of how we need to take responsibility and control of our health as we age and not accept that aging makes us automatically prone to declining performance. And so hearing is one, blood pressure is another, and, and frankly, it ties right into the importance of getting a diagnosis for Alzheimer's uh, when you go in for your annual physical, because A, it can rule out other things that can mimic Alzheimer's, and B, if there is a the start of dementia or mild cognitive impairment, there are things that you can be doing to help um, support your own health and either maybe not control it, but uh, you know, prolong your effective cognition uh, longer and maintain an independent life. 
Right, because, uh, you know, that is another aspect of this we haven't even jumped into, but we will a little later on, uh, just the whole uh, caregiving aspect and what happens to people as their Alzheimer's, once they develop it, if they develop it, how it progresses. Um, So what are some other uh, things that we can resolve to do that will be better for our brains in 2024? Well, here's one that um, I think might surprise people. Getting your annual flu vaccination, uh, something that, you know, I think has people maybe have gotten away from because, you know, there's questions about vaccines and their effectiveness. But one study by the University of Texas found that flu vaccinations on an annual basis were associated with a 40% decrease in the risk of developing Alzheimer's in, in the coming four years. And they said that even a single flu vaccination could reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's by 17%. Wow. Do you think that's because people who tend to get vaccinated for the flu on a regular basis, that, or even semi-regular basis, that maybe they're more tuned into their health and, and maybe are uh, better aware of changes in, in, in their bodies, which include, you know, cognition? You know what? It's it's hard to know what the motivation is, but I think it's just important to realize that it's not just the flu, because I think people look at it and go, well, I've had the flu before and I can deal with that and I'd rather not deal with the vaccine. But recognizing that your whole body, a healthy body, helps support a healthy brain. And so a flu vaccine isn't just for the flu it's to reduce inflammation in your body, which is a contributor to, you know, the onset of dementia. And and a related thing, another vaccination, uh, a vaccination for pneumonia uh, between the ages of 65 and 75 reduced the risk of Alzheimer's up to 40%. And this was a Duke University study. So keeping up with those preventive vaccinations helps, you know, helps protect you against the immediate risk of the disease, uh, which can be more impactful as we age, but that added, you know, that added health risk of the onset of dementia, which unlike the flu, you you know, once you get dementia, you are not, uh, you know, there is not a cure for that at this point. Mm -hmm. So if you can prevent it from starting, you are that much better off. Yeah, there is no reversal. There is no reversal cure at this point, although researchers sure are looking into a lot of different things. We applaud their efforts. Uh, we have to take a break here. Jim Hurley, he is our guest with the Alzheimer's Association of Colorado. Uh, we just talked about resolutions for better brain health in 2024, getting vaccinated for flu and other diseases, checking your hearing, managing your blood pressure. When we come back, more of uh, those great things that you can do to be brain healthy in 2024. You're listening to The Extra on KRDO News Radio. We're back with the extra and uh, the show that connects you with the issues, topics, and people that are important to you. And today's issue, today's topic, better brain health. Uh, We're talking about it in terms of making resolutions for the new year, but certainly any time around the calendar year, these are good ideas. So Jim Hurley, he is our guest today. He's the Senior Director of Marketing and Communication for the Alzheimer's Association, Rocky Mountain Region. So Jim 
Uh, we talked about those three, managing blood pressure, checking your hearing, getting vaccinated. What is another, what are the other uh, resolutions that we can make and keep for better brain health in 2024? Well, there's some things we can do every day. When we sit down at the breakfast table or the dinner table, there are some of our favorite foods, and, and this is some news a lot of people don't want to hear, and I was not happy to read this, but some of our favorite foods can contribute to uh, faster cognitive decline. What we call ultra-processed foods, uh, things that have added uh, industrial processes, more fat, sugar, salt, stabilizers, preservatives, that's soda, that's breakfast cereal, that's white bread, potato chips, frozen pizza, ice cream, hamburgers and french fries. Uh, those things, if they constitute more than 20% of your daily caloric intake, research has shown that they will contribute to a 28% faster decline in your cognitive scores, which means your memory, your verbal fluency, your executive function. Um, so the more of those things we enjoy, and we do enjoy them, uh, they don't help us in the long run. Mm, I, I I didn't realize there was such a substantial uh, link. I mean, 28% faster decline uh, in your cognitive scores. That's pretty significant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is pretty dramatic. When you look at the numbers and some of the things we've talked about, they're, they're not cures, they're not preventions, but boy, if you can reduce your risk in, you know, 25, 30, 40% at a time, you really give yourself a, you know, much better odds of living a longer, happier, independent life. Mm. When it comes to better brain health, uh, it's not just our brain we need to worry about too, right? Our gut health uh, factors into this as well in staving off uh, cognitive decline. Tell us about that resolution, what we can resolve to do better in 2024. Well, and, and this ties into our diet. Uh, we know that roughly one out of every six people in the world struggles with constipation. And among older adults who are more likely to be on fiber deficient diets and having less exercise, uh, their odds of um, having constipation go up. Researchers found that people who have fewer than one bowel movement every three days, that was associated with 73% higher odds of cognitive decline and long-term health issues like inflammation, hormonal imbalances, anxiety, depression. So some pretty dramatic numbers there. I mean, 73% is, is a number that it's very hard to ignore. So, I mean, I know there are over-the-counter you know, products, Metamucil and other related fiber additive products that we can take to make sure that we stay more regular. And the science here is is pretty commanding to say that you know if you're spending less than you know if you're going to the bathroom less than once every three days um then you need to change that and that that's something that's you know you can take uh command of in your own life pretty you know you can do that today 
Yes, indeed. And so as we continue with our conversation on setting New Year's resolutions for being, I guess, proactive about the risk of Alzheimer's, what else would you like our listeners to know that might help them in in this quest? Well, one thing we can do uh, in addition, as after we retire, uh, you know, there's too many stories of people who retire and retire into their sofa, um, is to stay active. Um, what we can do is be out, be active with friends, uh, volunteer. Uh, for those who don't want to work longer, uh, they can volunteer with an organization, you know, commit a couple of hours a week or more to a cause, whether it's an animal shelter or a food bank or anything that interests them. And researchers have, again, found that people who remain socially active, um, taking a class, learning a new language, any of those things, again, prolong their cognition. Uh, People who work longer get these benefits, but interestingly, researchers have found that people who volunteer get even more of this benefit because they love what they do. They're not doing it for a paycheck. They're not doing it, you know, just to ensure their financial solvency. But people who volunteer to a cause that is meaningful to them get more joy out of it and they get more benefit. So basically the message is to stay active, be in your community, uh, get out of the house. I love it. And that's a good uh, recommendation to stave off a whole bunch of things, whether it's loneliness, depression, uh, you know, and what have you. And so it's good to know that that's also a preventative when it comes to Alzheimer's. We need to take another break here. Jim Herlihy is our guest. He's joining us from the Alzheimer's Association. We're talking about better brain health. And when we come back, we'll talk about getting through the holidays. Uh, If you have people in your family with Alzheimer's, you know it is a tough time and uh, it is a tough time no matter what but the holidays for some reason bring it home so when we come back we'll talk more to him about that about the latest research and, and ways that you can help support the mission that's when the extra continues we're back with our final segment here on the extra and I want to uh, make sure that our audience knows and Jim you passed this along to me I want to say it was a year and a half ago and it was a great resource uh, that the Alzheimer's Association offers a free simple screening right and and, and that can be obtained uh, by uh, calling uh, their helpline which is staffed 24-7 by trained professional staff members at 800 272 uh, 3,900. And as I remember, I think, Jim, uh, we set up a later time when uh, someone could call us back and then that uh, questionnaire was delivered and and the kind of uh, remote by phone um, initial uh, diagnosis. I wouldn't even call it a diagnosis because they're not diagnosing anything, but it was kind of a screening uh, that was done. And it's so helpful. And I, I, what a wonderful resource. Do want to applaud your efforts on that. Well, thank you. And, and it is important because um, there are roughly half of the people living with this disease who are never diagnosed. And because they're never diagnosed, they never get to take advantage of the resources that are available. Uh, There are new medications. There's several new medications approved by the FDA that are not a cure, but they have been proven effective in slowing the progression of the disease. 
And, and the other point uh, and about the importance of getting the diagnosis is that there are some other conditions that can mimic Alzheimer's, uh, depression, nutritional deficiencies, side effects of medication, thyroid disease, uh, Lyme disease, even urinary tract infections can have some of those same memory impairing uh, side effects. And by going to a doctor, you can determine if you've got something that's treatable and can be addressed, or if it's not, and if it ter does turn out to be the early stages of Alzheimer's, then these other medications and the dietary and lifestyle changes that can be made that can help maybe slow the progression are essential at that point. But these are things, to your point, Shannon, that people can talk to our trained staff members on our helpline, uh, available 24 hours a day. Uh, they're bilingual, uh, so they can address any questions that people have, whether it's about, about the disease itself, about local resources, or about the signs and symptoms that you know, might encourage them to go see their doctor to get more information. Right. And it's tough to know when it's time to seek that, you know, screening or help or whatever. Because as someone was mentioning to me, you know, I think everyone who misplaces their keys thinks, oh, no, the, you know, early onset, we kind of make a little joke about uh, that in our family, which is no joking matter, I realize, to the millions of people who are out there dealing uh, with either this as a family member or themselves, and no joking matter at all. But, you know, we all, I think, in society, Society tend to think if if you're forgetful about something that this could be the precursor, but in reality, it's there's a lot more going on. As someone told me, it's not forgetting where you parked your car; it's forgetting how you got, how you drove to the parking space in the first place. That you'd have no memory it, of that. Exactly. I mean, there are there are changes in our memory that happen as we age, but. All memory change is not a sign of dementia and should not be accepted as, you know, inevitable. Uh, it's when these changes impact our ability to lead our lives. As you said, um, you know, if you, we all forget where we park our car. Uh, we all forget where we put our keys. But if you get into your car and you can't remember how to start it, if, if you don't know how to drive, or, you know, and I've worked with some individuals who have had this happen to them. If you get into your car and you've driven the same route every day for 10 years and suddenly you can't remember how to get home or you can't remember how to get to your office, then it's a sign that something else is going on and it's worth talking to your physician to explore it more and to find out if it's something, A, that's either treatable or B, requires more intervention. All right. And this is a disease that uh, is uh, a burden on those who suffer from it. It's a burden on the families who deal with it. It's uh, It taxes our society. We just got through the holidays. Tell us, uh, Jim, because uh, for those who are dealing with it as we move forward through the rest of the holidays throughout the year, how can we come up with some coping mechanisms to make it an easier time uh, for our families? Well, this is a, and you understand this as having been a caregiver yourself, uh, this is a progressive disease. And so it's not like 
dealing with a loved one who's got cancer or who has another physical ailment, this disease changes and we have to recognize that our loved one will be changing with it. Their personality will change, how they react to us, what they remember about us or about their lives will be changing. And we have to learn to cope with that as they do, as, as they progress. And so the Alzheimer's Association offers some different uh, classes. Uh, they're available online um, at, through our website at alz.org. And they're geared towards the different stages of the disease so that we can better communicate with our loved one uh, as their communication skills and their memories change and sometimes regress or disappear completely. Uh, in the case of some people, and you know, we've all heard about, you know, the movie star Bruce Willis with the, uh, you know, the condition called aphasia. There's different types of dementia, and, and one like that uh, affects his ability to speak and to recognize words uh, spoken to him. Others are more focused on, with Alzheimer's, uh, more focused on memory. Uh, with Lewy body disease, there is a greater propensity for hallucinations. So understanding what your loved one is going through may help people better cope with it and, and you know, understand how to respond. And frankly, one of the best tools that's available are the support groups because there you can meet with other people who are dealing with the same circumstances or very similar circumstances and can often share experiences and learnings with you um, and help you, A, you know, not only to respond better to your loved one, but also to realize that you're not alone, that there's other people who get it, who have been there and often become the best resource that you have to to cope and adjust to the changes that, that are happening and will continue to happen as long as your loved one is still with you. Well, Jim Hurley, he quite an inspirational talk and hour of conversation that we've had here today. I, I'm going to resolve to do all those things on that list you discussed uh, because brain health is very important in 2024 and beyond. So Jim Hurley he with the Alzheimer's Host Association, glad to have you on. And if you would like to learn more, go to org or call the free helpline uh, staffed 24-7 by trained professional staff members, 800 3900 Jim, again, our thanks. Thank you, Shannon. My pleasure. You're very welcome. And to our audience, thanks for listening. This is The Extra.